it's one of the first times where I didn't feel depressed about the state <laughs> of uh, learning management. <laughs> oh my gosh. I actually felt hopeful. It's October 2, 2018, and welcome to episode three of C-Lab, the Customer Education Lab, where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its tracks. I'm Adam Evermescu. I lead customer education at Checker. And I'm Dave Darrington. I lead customer education at Azuqua. Awesome. Well... One of the most common questions that we get asked from people who are starting customer education programs is, do I need an LMS, a learning management system? It's a good question. You know, an LMS is like a standard part of a customer education program, and it's usually the first system, right, Adam, that that is implemented. But is it right for everybody? Yeah, a lot of what I hear is that when you're first starting a customer education program, you can't always get the budget for an LMS. You can't always justify right. the ROI. I hear people get asked that a lot. And mm-hmm. even when you work at a more established company, you often find that you have an LMS and it's maybe the first system you have, but it doesn't always work for you. That's right. Well, well let's, let's tear into this. So let's get into our hypothesis section, right? This is a, a scientific venture. So I think we agreed that it's, it's not that an LMS isn't important, right? Right. Right. It's rather, it's a part of your, and and we both love this word in customer education. It's a part of your stack. I'm doing air quotes stack. Um, (laughs) It's part of, (laughs) it's part of that suite of tools. What's that? Like a pancake? Like a pancake? Absolutely. I'm, it's every bit as tasty, just Mm. a little digital. (laughs) All right. So it's part of your suite of tools that you use on a day-to-day basis. And here today, Let's go ahead and talk about those big thoughts that what does an LMS actually do? When might you need one? Or, you know, and why do you need one? And then what can you do before you have one? So that hypothesis we're going to test is the first piece of technology for a good customer education program is a learning management system. So with that, let's kick it off. That's a really interesting hypothesis, Dave, because I think a lot of the hypotheses we've been doing so far are a little more oriented around myths, right? Like Mm -hmm. we've been talking about things like, oh, you don't need a customer education program until you're later in your journey. And, you know, we know that that's false. Mm -hmm. I think this is the first hypothesis that we've really stumbled upon that um, there isn't necessarily conventional customer education wisdom on. So I'm excited to jump into this. Yeah, let's tear this down. So why don't you lead it off? All right, so let's, let's ask that first question. What is an LMS? Before we know whether we need one, we need to define what it is. Right. So, you know, not, not to belabor the point, but when I talk to a lot of customer success executives, they may have heard of an LMS, but they don't actually know what it does. <laughs> they don't even know what it stands for sometimes. So let's talk about what an LMS actually does in the context of customer education. Cool. Well, LMS, of course, stands for learning management system, right? Um, and let's just go through some of the, the points here. I, I could start off saying, you know, a, an LMS is there to fundamentally track student activity in that learning 
journey, meaning, hey, I know what courses you took, I know what grade you got on it, particularly when it's on, uh, you know, like in an on-demand format, but also for live e-learning, or I'm sorry, but also for instructor-led learning. Yeah, I mean, when LMSs first started out, and, and I believe that they started in the world of academia before they even came into the corporate world, they were really more about managing enrollments in live courses. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about what an LMS does, I think it's important to, to realize that they've, they've come from a completely different world from the world that they're currently being used in. Right. And so, you know, they came from academia and they were a way for people to track uh, enrollment and progress in, in those courses. Um, and then they spent a long time in the world of internal L&D being able to track uh, what you know internal learners at their organizations were doing, uh, maybe going to live classes and maybe completing some activities outside of class. Um, so you had these LMSs like Blackboard and Canvas <laughs> and then eventually uh, uh, Moodle is another one that people were using a lot back in the day. And, yeah. and then they started to explode, right? It went from there being maybe like five or, or 10 LMSs out there to... These days, I think the figure I hear is over 700 or 800 LMSs. Good Lord, that's a lot. Yeah. So they've gotten more sophisticated over time, and they've also become more specialized. And I think that's why we're seeing so many. Because LMSs have gone from this thing that just lets you track enrollments and completions in a course to things like letting you actually author content directly in them, uh, giving you portals to share that content and actually present it directly to learners. So it's not just a back-end system anymore. And a lot of them have all these bells and whistles in them, like micro learning or gamification or whatever the uh, the buzzword of the month is. Right. And that's, that's actually getting somewhat confusing and it makes it, I think, ever more difficult to, to really say, well, this is the one I need or this is the one I want. And it, it's that fact that they're becoming more specialized, right? You, um, yeah. You have, you have an LMS now for, for customer education and that's different from an LMS for uh, internal education, and that's different for an LMS for uh, for lifelong learning for professional organizations. So everyone has different needs, and the market has expanded to meet those needs. Right, and then there's some market confusion in between. But hey, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Uh, so I think at one point we were talking about the TSIA, and there was a quote, and I hate to put you on the spot here. I guess you could spitball it with a with an approximation. But did you not tell me at one point that for education services, an LMS is the most purchased system, but not just that, and I think you said this, it's also the most disliked. You, you did hear that from me. So TSIA, the Technology Services Industry Association, they do a lot of really good work with education services organizations, and they do a, I believe it's an annual report just on the state of the industry. And one of the things that they look into is the tech stack. And so they break down by percentage, do you have an LMS? Do you have a content management system? Do you have a, a certification platform? So on and so forth. And LMSs, uh, at least the last time I looked at that report, were the most adopted. But then they also go and, me- and measure, are you satisfied with those systems? And LMSs, I believe, were dead <laughs> last at the time. We'll have to break into, maybe that's an entirely new podcast right there in and of itself, right? I think there are some out there about that. (laughs) Um, So maybe one more point on this. Um, 
you maybe go back to the past here, and I recall you were talking about how in the past you really needed to comb through some random LMSs to find the one that was the most customer-centric because, again, HR, internal, is a little bit different from that customer education. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Dave, but the first time I ever looked for an LMS for a customer-facing organization, there wasn't really the, the wealth of customer LMSs that you see today. So right. really what you were doing was you were looking at the, the internal uh, HR, L&D-based LMS mm-hmm. that would stand the best chance of being able to be used for customers. So I remember the first one I ever picked when I was working at a company called Bankview is it was it was one that was part of a larger talent solution. So they had um, a performance management system and they had an LMS and they had a, a talent management system and all those good things. Um, but really, you could tell by that suite of products that that this was something that wasn't designed for external or what, what you'd call extended enterprise learning. Uh, it really was something that was designed for internal learning. So there just weren't a lot of systems at the time that really handled that extended enterprise use case. And that's changed. Yeah. And, and what what is it about those internally focused systems? Is it they were inherently less polished or they had to have the, the benefit of being on a corporate land at high speed? What, what was it that differentiated those from what we want to surface with a customer? Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, <laughs> maybe I'm going to be a little snarky here. A, a lot of it like, <laughs> Go for uh, it. It's fun. Like, like 1995 Microsoft. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So, and and great, this was not 1995 when I was looking for these. I, I want to I want to clarify. <laughs> it actually wasn't that long ago. So there wasn't necessarily that um, that polish placed on the user experience or on the interface. Uh, there are a lot of bells and whistles that just weren't necessary for an external customer situation. And you could also tell by the types of integrations they did. So when you talked about user management, for example, in the LMS, they were really touting being able to sync with your HR information system mm-hmm. or uh, other internal systems that really tracked your employee base. And that's just not really going to work for customers, right? In customers, the source of truth isn't uh, your HRIS or like an LDAP integration or something like that. It's your CRM, your customer mm-hmm. relationship management software. It's, um, it might be your product itself. So even on a data level, these systems weren't necessarily reflecting the reality of how you train and how you measure customers. Right. Right. It was all internally focused with different kinds of probably similar, but different nuances and different kind of endpoints. Yeah, which absolutely. That, that's, that's really cool. And, uh, and also a lot of the good, the really good customer uh, focused ones, I would also say have more polish because, you know, you're working with people you want to impress, you want to integrate. Well, that's, um, you know, between the first time you were ever looking for an LMS and, and today's market. Mm. Well, I do see that a lot more of them are starting to get, and we probably can get into this a little bit later, but they're starting to get a lot more integrative with your product. For example, like you look at products like, um, um, I'm trying to think of the word uh, walk me um, in the ones that are embedding training within your product itself. And, and that's kind of a different nuanced approach because you're almost micro micro learning, but that didn't exist a long time ago that that coaching you through it's a different modality of training, but I'd still argue that it's part of that whole enablement and education process. 
Yeah. And you know, one other one that I thought of, Dave, and th- I remember this being a huge limitation at the time, was that you had so many of these LMSs uh, pricing set up per seat mm-hmm. because mm. you knew how many students were going to be taking your courses. There wasn't this variable demand like there was for customer right. education. Yeah, absolutely. Because at, at one point, um, I, I recall working with uh, the last LMS I was on, we had something like 33,000 people had enrolled in the system, which is, is just people. a staggeringly large number. Yeah, so you know, maybe we can actually use that as an anchor point to get into our, the next part of our discussion because we Let's really need it. to think about when do you need an LMS. And, and so I'd, I'd love to hear some of your stories about how you were able to get LMSs implemented in, in some of your, your past roles. Cool. Well, that's a good bridge into it. This is hard. This is harder than you think. And I think uh, uh, to caveat this, if you're listening to this, you don't have an LMS, one of the things that I'd encourage you to do is just use this podcast as a time to reflect. Do you need one? You know, we're, gonna, we're walking through all these things because we've been there. So here, here's one of the lessons, and I'll tack on to what I had said before. Uh, one of my last roles, I was at Gainsight, and we had implemented a LearnDots LMS. Uh, it's a product from Service Rocket. And initially, initially, we had offered training for customer success managers on thought leadership. So that is, how do you be a, how can you become a great customer success manager? And all the, the thinking that goes around that it wasn't so much technical product training. And then I came into the picture somewhere in that process, and now I had to adopt um, this platform for more a different cohort of customers, right? So we had a tremendous volume of customer interest. Uh, we had some basic customer material, and then basically we dropped all that material into the, the, the system. And then, you know, it's kind of like a backwards process. We had this, we had to use it. And was I ready for it? I don't know. So because, because at first, if I didn't have a whole lot of material, I was more adopting to what the platform could do for me, rather than me spearheading and leading that adventure. So what are your thoughts? What kind of experiences have you had? Yeah, I think my experiences have been a little bit different in the sense that I've never actually walked into an organization that already has an LMS where I've had to either adapt to it or, or rip and replace. Uh, for me, I've usually walked in during the fake it stage, uh, <laughs> and then later we have to figure out how to make it. So, uh, for instance, the company I was talking about before, uh, Bankview, we didn't have we didn't have e-learning. We didn't have a way of really tracking the trainings that we did. Um, I think some of them were going into the CRM. Like if a, if a mm-hmm. trainer went out and did a training, they would log it as a training record in our, C- uh, in our CRM. But that's not really going to be able to do much more than track activity, right? Like what uh, a super old school LMS would have done. So right. part of what we had to figure out was, hey, now if we want to have all these customers coming on and taking e-learning, uh, and we really want to be able to do reporting back to them on what all of their individual users have done, we need to start figuring that out. So um, the, the fake it stage for us was we continued using the CRM, but we also started using a system that um, I, I believe still exists uh, called Articulate Online. And oh, yeah, so it was uh, using the, the e-learning authoring software that we had which is called Articulate, it's a pretty common one, uh, they actually had a hosting platform where you could, uh, where you could post the, the learning online and they would give you reporting on what people were doing in there. 
And then eventually right. we were able to use that kind of as the, the beachhead to eventually implement a real learning management system. And this is the one that I was say, uh, saying earlier <laughs> was a little bit more of an, uh, an HR focused one, an internal one that uh, we were just somehow able to use as an external LMS. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, let, let, let me expand on that because I, I, I like to think that you and I are lucky in those opportunities where you come in and you could fake it like, you know, but you're building it out. I'm doing that right now again with Azuqua. And I actually tend to prefer this because we have decided to build out all of our material on essentially like a, a document portal. And so I'm basically focusing on the different modalities of training. I have a video for those that like to watch and listen. I have the, the script or, you know, the, the, the notes, and then I have workbooks. and I have, So I basically have all of the assets you would otherwise have in a learning management system. I just don't have them in a learning management system yet. Yeah, um, I, see, I see companies doing this more and more. And in fact, that's what we did at Optimizely when I first came in as well. Mm-hmm. We created a, a version of an LMS that presented all the content and all the assets and all the, mm-hmm. the paths, basically. But it was built on top of a Zendesk help center. And yeah. so while it looked like an LMS, it didn't have some of that basic functionality in terms of tracking student progress or being able to show you what courses you had or hadn't completed. We were doing all the analytics on it in Google Analytics. And so finally, when our customer success team really wanted to have that in-depth tracking of what their accounts were actually doing, we were able to say, well, we should probably implement a learning management system to do that. Right. But I see this pretty commonly, right? Like, Startups are always asking about the ROI of the LMS. Have you run into this? Constantly. And, and this has come up a couple times at Azuqua recently. Like, well, how much would it cost us? And it, and it could be expensive. At first, you don't know. But, you know, if you're looking at a price tag of upwards of $30,000 for a platform, it's, it's a little jarring. I mean, yes, you could get cheap ones, but... You've really got to think about that. We're in that mode right now where we're thinking of, well, do we want to build out all of this training on our own platform and spend all that time, which is non-trivial? Or do we want to drop this amount of money and then have have the added complexity of working with a vendor, getting this product in? And, you know, it, there's a lot to think about. The build versus buy argument. Is, do we really have the budget for it? What's it really going to give to me? Um or and then there's that risk too. When I start thinking about it, yeah, I, I probably need a learning management system now for tooling, for reporting, for all of that stuff. Uh, it, there's a there's a lot under the hood, um, and you have to like really lay out wh- when you're going to need this. I don't think I need one quite yet. I think I'll need one going into next quarter uh, because I will have all my content developed, and then it makes it really easy. What else would you think of? I think a lot about total cost of ownership or, or TCO mm. as you hear it called? Yeah. So when you think about build versus buy, a lot of the time you'll see companies shudder at this, oh, we're not <laughs> going to pay 25K, 30K, 50K, whatever it's going to be. That That's what I would estimate the cost of an LMS for kind of a, a small to medium-sized company being. Um, but then when you start to go the alternate route, you don't necessarily think of the hidden costs of doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. So either in terms of losing functionality, so for instance, you might not um, be in a situation where you can track learner progress the way you want, like we had it optimizely right. uh, before we implemented an LMS, or you might not be thinking about the costs of 
custom development. So, you know, you talked about added complexity from working with an LMS vendor, but a lot of the time I think an LMS vendor can help you simplify some of that complexity because they've already thought through the product development and you don't have to recreate that yourself. Certainly. Of course, you have to have the right fit and the right pairing with that LMS product that's good for you. That if you get something, and I've done this several times, if you get something perhaps that isn't flexible as you'd want it to be, meaning I want it to look like my product, I want it to have the same styling, you know, all that jazz, and I have to fight that, that's difficult. But if you have something that's a little more attuned to your specific needs, maybe you need to have integration or something like that. So all these things you really need to be thinking about. And if you're starting to ask those questions, why you need an LMS and you're starting to have answers to them, then you're ready. So I actually think that's a really good transition because the next thing we wanted to talk about was mm -hmm. what do you actually need in an LMS? What should you be looking for? So what's, what's on your uh, high priority list, Dave? Oh my gosh. You, you know, I think this is a really good case to bring up what happened um, it was a good experience with Gainsight because Gainsight was very focused on that customer success outcome, you know, the, the journey, because we want people to adopt. And this is what we want as customer, customer education people that, uh, Adam, I think you, you keep the mantra up, you know, customer education is a pillar of customer success. Maybe that's not for, for all people, but I, I believe it holds true. So number one, I would say um, at the adoption phase, you know, once you have customers using your product, a customer success manager, whether they're at zero touch, you know, low touch, all the way up through scaling to an enterprise grade, I want for them to be able to hold a customer accountable and do things like reporting. Now, what I mean by that is, let's say I'm at a particular account and I'm monitoring that account and eh, it's a little rocky and they're not picking stuff up and somebody calls me repeatedly and repeatedly and they they ask me the same kinds of questions as a customer success manager or anybody within the company engaging with them i'd want to know that they've at least looked at the training material particularly when i say hey we've got really good training material you don't have to call me all the time and then to be able to expand upon that as well and let's say i have i'm working with a project manager at uh, at an organization and they're trying to scale adoption we want to be able to give them reporting and to have them know, yes, there are efforts to help train and get people to adopt. All that material is there. So that's one thing that I would tap on. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen a lot of customer-facing LMS platforms place emphasis on that, where they have a dashboard that CSMs can use, and then maybe they have even a separate level of permissions where you can put your point of contact from your customer side into the LMS as well, so they can self-serve and, and report on their team's progress. Right. Pretty cool. You you also want to give that user level progress, right? So as oh totally, as a customer or as a user from your customer side is going through the learning paths or going through the courses, you really want to make sure that the LMS is doing a good job of showing them their level of completion. And mm -hmm. this might even tie into email nurture, where a lot of them, uh, a lot of platforms will let you send emails based on incomplete courses or Maybe you visited the site, but you haven't enrolled in anything yet. Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, playing on that, I'd like to give props to Salesforce, Trailhead. Have you used uh, Trailhead or at least peeked at it? I have. It's one of my favorite customer-facing learning platforms. 
it's it's amazing because it's all there. There's there's a tremendous amount of content, but that I love the badging. You know, I love being able to feel like I've accomplished something and you're making progress yet I could do it on my own time. So that makes you that makes you at least me uh, more motivated to learn. Yeah, and you know, I've seen this in the more recent crop of customer LMSs that have come out in the past few years. They have badging and gamification and things like that that really make the experience a little more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it allows a lot of people to have that trailhead-like experience, even though they're not necessarily going to build their own trailhead platform. Totally. Well, what about, um, I I had a question for you on e-commerce, because I think you've mentioned this before. Like, let's get to the point now we're actually charging for training. What could you tell me about that need, that specific need within LMS? Yeah, I've seen LMSs do this in a few different ways, um, whether it integrates with a system like Stripe or however you're doing your payments processing, mm-hmm. um, or it might even be uh, an integration with your ERP or figuring out how to do invoicing. Things get a lot more complex when you start doing e-commerce. So I'd, I don't want to under underemphasize that. It's almost as complicated, I think, as mm. internationalization and localization, which that's a whole other thing. <laughs> but right. the two of the most complex you, the things that you can do. I, I think the big question to ask is, how are you going to be selling training? Um, who's going to be doing the selling? And what does the actual transaction look like? So for instance, if you're in a position where your sales team is going to be adding training onto the contract, and Mm -hmm. that gives you access to certain courses with a coupon code, then you need to make sure that the LMS that you're purchasing handles coupon codes really well. Uh, On the other hand, if you have a model where you expect individual users to be coming on and buying, uh, you know, certification courses or just making those transactions themselves, then make sure that there's a good integration with a billing system uh, that lets them do e-commerce right there on the site. Right. And then you have the alternative to that is, I think you were alluding to this, I might have a salesperson negotiate in your initial contract or renewal uh, a certain number of seats to training for your um, for your employees. That could be like a token or some other thing where you type in that code. Like I think you were ta- already talking yeah, about this. and make it easy. Yeah, or, or training credits or something like that so that your courses still have value. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have a price tag. But that that price might not actually be paid directly. It might get carved into the the, the license fee for your software. Right, and I think you know we're talking a little bit. This is kind of like that tail end of the small business, you know, mid sized business where you're actually building the educational services team out. The other thing in there, and and I'm missing the word right now for this, but it's confirming that you've had an individual, uh, you know, well, actually revenue recognition. That's a big one for finance because I've had people Absolutely. come back to me and say, and so a lot hey, of that did, so, did so many people get training? Did they take it? How can you prove the, it? The same you actually have to do that at does, some level uh, if you're not giving away free you training. Probably, if you're going to be doing a lot of paid training, you really want to bring your finance team in on that uh, vendor evaluation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, I've got one other one, Adam, to share. Um, This kind of expands upon what we were talking about before with just customer progress. 
uh, and, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, when you're working with um, you know, an ISV, a partner that's maybe extending what your company does, maybe they provide installation services, integration services, implement, implementation is the word I'm really looking for. Um, so let's say I have a cohort of partners. Well, those partners are a little bit different from a customer because a customer can kind of self-help at a certain level, you know, with a low touch type environment, but a partner, I really want these folks to, to know that they have the material to be able to get to it easily. But I also want to be able to go back at the end of the day and say, look, I've also vetted you. Vetting means it's not just badging. It might be another degree of certification where I make sure that that partner is certified and I need to have a place where, um, You've done this, right? You have a partner team. Like I, I know I've trained folks from Accenture and Deloitte and other big uh, consulting firms. And they say, hey, can I have the report for all of my team members to make sure they've done this? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's important. And one thing to think about is, is that something you're looking for your LMS to do? Um, or is that something where your partnership team might have a partner portal? Mm-hmm. Um, and that does some of the tracking as well. So you you might either look for an integration there, although in my experience, those systems do not integrate very well with customer LMSs. <laughs> <laughs> well, and a lot of time, Adam, um, part of that whole process is, a, is a, an in-person one where I'm having somebody prove to me that they really know it by demo. Yeah, so however however you're actually certifying partners, it might be a matter of thinking about just how, how you imagine that use case would actually go either in your partner portal or your, or your LMS. Totally. Yeah. Dave, you, you've mentioned even in this uh, session today, the importance of being able to customize and brand, uh, the LMS. Can you talk a little bit more about what you look for in an LMS there? Oh, absolutely. And, and I'll give you a practical example, Adam, that, the last system I work with, and, and I'll definitely give props to Service Rocket for the Learn Dot product because I think it was an awesome, pro- or it is an awesome product, and it's evolving. Um, one of the things that I sometimes struggle with, and this is good and bad, so I'm not criticizing or judging here. Uh, I personally like to be able to do modifications quickly, and that means let's say let's think about your website. So we're not talking about training; we're talking about a website. Uh, you need to add content to it. Yes, that's kind of the same thing you do in an LMS. But sometimes you need to, to move things around and lay things out differently. For example, let's say our navigation panel at the top of uh, the website, customers aren't finding something they need or they can't get to something very easily. So that actually translates because often, and with mo- introduction of mobile, this isn't this, always the same anymore, but often your LMS needs to be a little bit more of a seamless experience. So for example, I found myself in situations where I wanted to have like markdown formatting or uh, have multiple pages on some on documentation that would associate with like a video, or I wanted to have a learning journey that assembled um, like the same content in different structures. And, and again, I struggled with that and I found in, in one case, I wasn't able to make like simple cascading style sheet changes and, and I had to work through a third party. So, so things like that, like I want, I want to have some, for me, I want to have some fine green control over things that I can change quickly and not have to open up like a ticket and spend a couple of days changing something. Yeah. I think when, when I evaluate a learning management system, one thing that I look for is show me the level of control that I get mm-hmm. over being able to modify the CSS or be able to add JavaScript or be able to change some of the HTML of the individual pages. Um, do you have an interface for that? How does that work? 
But then the other thing that I like to do is when I'm working with LMS uh, companies, I ask them to show me a few examples of sites that, that their customers have built. Yeah. And I always ask to see the most customized one, uh, a moderately <laughs> customized one, and then one that looks pretty out of the box, just to understand the extent of the customization. And then I like to follow up by asking questions about how some of those customizations were done or how extensive the, the CSS or JavaScript work was. And I also like to ask, sometimes you see with LMSs that they have um, a custom built landing page in front of the actual LMS. And mm-hmm. that's not even living on the LMS site. That's just something that they built somewhere else in a different system. So try to huh, figure out weird. when you're actually looking at the LMS versus when you're looking at a custom built landing page or something that lives outside of the LMS site. Yeah, that's that's super, that's a really golden kind of approach. I like that where you're looking at the uh, low, mid, high customization, probably even talk about the cost involved because you know the caveat is if you have something really awesome, then it might take a third party to do or even a web developer to help you with. Yeah, and you know, the more you customize the system, the more you're going to have to maintain it because the mm-hmm. system itself is going to update over time. Things are going to change, and you want to make sure that if you've customized that site enough, that you can also continue to maintain it as it changes. Yeah. Well, with that, why don't we talk about? So we've talked about the other parts of an LMS. We've talked about the why. We've talked about the when. We've talked about the what is an LMS to begin with. If you don't even know. Um, Sorry, let's say that again, sound rude. Um, and the what, if you don't know already. Now we're on to the last part of it, which is, okay, I don't have an LMS. And for those of you who already do have one or um, you know, are happy with it, might you know, kick back and, and listen and see if you agree with us. But what can you do before you implement that LMS? Yeah. So Dave, you're in that position right now, right? At Azuma, mm-hmm. you don't have an LMS. Totally. I don't have one. Um, you know, with the, with the last one, I already shared that story, Adam, that I kind of inherited the system. I liked it. It did, it did a good job, but I felt rushed and I didn't feel like I was a part of the process. And in fact, I really feel like I did not know the requirements that I would have come six months later. So that, you know, the first thing I would recommend is before you go out and buy an LMS, really think about what you need out of it. You know, what, what is it that I have? What, what do I want it to do? Um, uh, but the point to that is don't rush, right? Take your time. Yep, absolutely. And so before you do that, I mean, we talked about kind of going through a, a fake it stage and then a make it stage. Mm-hmm. What can you do as a, as a prototype to prove the need for a real LMS? Oh my goodness. So I've decided, I, we have a system that we're using right now. It's actually called Hugo. If you haven't heard about this, it's a, it's very techy, very geeky. I love it. Of course I would. I mean, it's, it's a stack and I mean, it requires me to do a little bit more with GitHub and I have to check in, check out, blew my mind at first, but you know, I'm an educator, so I learned um, that it, I was able to lay out uh, training and education and blocks of content kind of as a developer would, which is actually really good because I have to work with developers pretty regularly. So I have spent a lot of my time at first, I just built little video blocks and I put them on a regular web page on our, on our website. And then as I was able to expand those and add to them, the exercises, the workbooks, all the different 
you know, accessories to learning. Then I started to relay them out into small modular components with landing pages and journeys. And so now I'm at a point where I'm pretty darn happy with this. I've got, I've got basically a map. I've got a lay of the land. And I could share that with a customer. Um, and, but then that's starting to precipitate that need for, well, I want the system to actually help coach you through that and do things because a website can't. So I'm really in a good spot come the end of the quarter, come the end of the year, that I'll be able to have really great discussions, say, these are all the things I need. This is all the stuff I've got. How can you help me? That's great. You know, the, the other thing, as you say that, that, that really makes me think is that if you've had a good trial phase and you've really experimented to figure out what's actually important, you can start to circumvent this common mistake that I see people make in LMS evaluations where they just show up with this really long RFP or really <laughs> long features list and they're trying to find the LMS that checks the most boxes. <laughs> um, but then the experience of actually using that LMS or the experience of actually working with that company as a partner uh, is, is inferior yeah. because they're trying to design their platform around checking boxes, not around creating a coherent experience for you as an admin or for your customers as users. So are you saying not to have that checklist or are you saying don't offer that as the number one key to um, succeeding an RFP? I'm saying that you should absolutely have a checklist um, and maybe in a moment we can get into a few other things that you might look for, even though I think we've covered the most important ones. Um, the, the key is to know what is most important to you and to really right. be able to prioritize that checklist. So for instance, when I do a, a feature requirement doc for an LMS, I actually like to prioritize the features as must haves, nice to haves, or you know, this actually isn't really important at all because um, that forces me to have an honest conversation with myself about what's necessary. It's always going to be different. Well, can you talk about some of your experiences? I, I know you've talked about um, the Zendesk LMS and Articulate a little bit. Can you expand on those with, uh, with regards to like going towards an LMS? Yeah, absolutely. And in both cases, I think we knew that eventually we'd want to have an LMS, but we were using each of those uh, fake it kind of LMS experiences <laughs> to validate something that would lead us towards getting a better LMS later. So with right. Articulate, for instance, all it's really doing is presenting the content that you've developed in the actual authoring software. So you create the content in at what the time I think was called Articulate Presenter. Now they have a new product called Articulate Storyline. Um, and then it just posts it and it tracks student completions. Super, super nice. simple functionality, right? So we were just using it as a way to deliver the content through these deep links. Um, we didn't even have, uh, I think, dedicated persistent users. We were constantly having to wipe users out of the system so that we could oh. open up seats for new ones. So oh, we weren't really Lord. trying to create this, uh, you know, kind of customer management approach. We were really just trying to figure out is this learning that our customers will use? What feedback do they give us based on that? Um, and if we start to move towards an LMS, do we want to make that investment in having a way to give self-paced learning to our users? Yeah. With Zendesk, it was almost the same thing, right? We wanted to see whether people were using it, but we were actually trying to figure out something additional there, which was we had all of our courses assembled into learning paths. So we wanted, first of all, to validate, are these paths that resonate with our, our users? Do these actually reflect the optimizely customer journey that they're having? And so there, even though we were just using Google Analytics to do the measurement, 
we wanted to track drop off through the courses. We mm -hmm. wanted to see which courses and which articles and which videos got the most traction so that when we actually moved to a real LMS and, and we did end up implementing a customer LMS after that, uh, that we could actually validate the structure and whether that structure actually resonated with our real learners. Well, that's really cool. And I know I've done a little bit about that with, um, with the Wistia video platform. You know, again, it's a fake it till you make it. I started to put videos up, but I could see hot spots and places where people are particularly attentive, therefore testing out with data what things people are, are proactively consuming, what, what they're really liking and where they drop off. That drop off stuff is super cool. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll say that I think for a lot of companies, this is cyclical, right? They, mm -hmm. they do the fake it stage for a while where they use something either home built or repurpose a different platform to be their LMS. And then they do invest in a customer LMS. Um, and then at some point for some companies, at least, they get to the point where they need to home build again because they've just outpaced the, the functionality of a lot of customer LMSs that are out there. So we got to that point at Optimizely, for instance, where we had been using a customer LMS for a while, um, but we didn't have the ability to customize it as much as we needed to for our customers. And right. so we actually had to end up building our own, again, on top of a, a headless CMS. <laughs> you know, Adam, I, w I wanted to make a, a, a note here that this, this is really good because finally I don't feel alone. <laughs> that I feel like, you know what I mean? Like I, developing the, the educational content for one thing is always an iterative process. You, you make it, you scrap it, you redo it, you make it, you scrap it. And I think a lot of, a lot of times, and I felt this, um, you get beholden to like, you know, basically engaged to, to a platform and then it's really hard to get off. And you've got to look at that. Like here, here's an example. One prototype that I've done in the past, and again, this was more specific to like testing and certification, is I use the Moodle platform. Now, Moodle is free if you want it to be free. You can download it and install it on your own server if you can. Um, there's also Moodle Cloud, and the, the company that, that makes this is in Australia, and it's like $250 a year. But it takes the best of the product and actually gives you some support. Um, that was a really good experience because I was able to test and explore and then shut it down at the end. And I didn't really have a lot of out of pocket. Um, so that iterative, like you've got to be just like you are with being a bold and fierce educator, do the same thing with your LMS, realize I'm probably going to scrap this. I'm going to use stepping stones and what I have today isn't what I'm going to have. And that goes all the way to like, now you're seeing newer systems. I think we could talk about um, the LRS or XAPI you can't just run, you've got to crawl, you've got to walk, and then get to where you're going to be. It's an evolutionary process. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you brought up LRSs and XAPIs because at this point, you're starting to see a lot of emerging technology that mm -hmm. starts to move us away from the idea of the traditional LMS. So I think even the customer LMSs that are out there probably wouldn't like us in this podcast calling them LMSs. They're, they're trying to <laughs> brand themselves as customer training platforms or customer learning platforms or, or things like that. So maybe eventually there'll be an entirely new category. Um, but at the same time, there are other technologies that are, that are starting to emerge that if you don't want to go the traditional LMS route, you don't have to. Right. So uh, LRSs, for instance, that's, that's called a learning record store. And what it lets you do is basically create this uh, 
this area, I, I think I've heard it described as a data lake, where you can basically pass different statements like through an API about learner <laughs> activity uh, and be able to have those tracked so that you can do reporting on them. And so a learning record store is different from an LMS in the sense that it's not just tracking the traditional learning completion and learning enrollments. It's really trying to build this database of all of your learner activities so that you can report on it in fundamentally more interesting ways. And I think at the same time, the customer learning platforms out there are also trying to move in the same direction through integrations with CRM systems and, and things mm -hmm. like that. Right. And, and I think... And I, I think Rob Castaneda hit on this at one point from Service Rocket about how we want to reach the learner in their moment of need, just in time learning. So you might even be on Facebook for work, you know, what, what do they call it, workplace. You might be on Slack. Uh, I recall having a conversation with uh, uh, somebody in Slack in, in EMEA. And they're like, hey, I just want to be, and they do a good, you talked about this before. Slack does a great job of that in, you know, when you need it, training, on-platform training. Um, so that's super exciting. I, I really want to see how that market grows as, as we continue to evolve. Yeah. You know, I'll just say anecdotally, this, this most recent LMS search that I did uh, for Checker, it's one of the first times where I didn't feel depressed about the state <laughs> of uh, learning management. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I actually felt hopeful because there are interesting options that are starting to come out to meet the need of customer educators like us. Yeah. Well, how about you double down on that? Let's talk about what, what to look for. You're ready. What are you looking for in that? And what are the options that you and I are going through? Um, Absolutely. So let's kick it off. Yeah. So let's recap a few of the ones that we said were important from our earlier discussion. First of all, there's got to be a focus on the user interface and the user experience. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to make sure that the the out-of-the-box experience is user-friendly and that there's enough options to be able to customize it through CSS or maybe JavaScript. Right. Second of all, you've got to have content authoring capabilities. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that the LMS needs to be able to host uh, or build interactive courses and things like that. You're probably still going to be using other software to create videos and to create e-learnings and things like that. But you should at least be able to author and publish some content directly within there. So for example, text lessons or, or pieces mm -hmm. like that, maybe quizzes. Uh, and the third piece that we had already said was really important was reporting and analytics. Uh, it's imperative for your system to be able to track what learners are doing in there and to be able to report back on that so that you can continue to uh, not only deliver that information to your CSMs and your customers, but also so you can refine the content over time. Yeah, can I can I extend on that? Yeah. So what what I'd like to expand upon is one of my biggest gripes with uh, with the platform is I'd like to have a lot of fine grained control of what I do with that data, and sometimes it's not often enough just to have some basic canned reports. Uh, sometimes I'd really like to be able to send a targeted report to a team leader over a bunch of learners. And, and a lot of this stuff doesn't quite exist in this modality yet, but I'm starting to see, uh, for instance, again, with, with LearnDot, they added in an analytics layer and I can actually set up some rules and do some really cool things and like send somebody an email, send out reports, either that, or we'll get to integrations in a minute, but I, I want access to my data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we ended up choosing Skilljar at Checker. And one of the big reasons 
why we chose them was because of the way that they set up their their data integrations. So my philosophy has always been, instead of using the native reporting that's directly in the LMS as the source of truth, or even instead of using the CRM as the source of truth, I like to build data directly into our data warehouse so that we can start to do better reporting of our learning data against other systems. So whether that's coming from the CRM or from the product itself or from another system, I like to be able to merge all that data directly where it's being stored in our data warehouse. And so one mm -hmm. thing I appreciated about the way that Skilljar built their data connector was that it made it easy to pull those tables directly into our data warehouse. So I think whether you're using integrations or whether you're doing a direct uh, data export, really think about where that data is going to be going and how reporting and analytics are going to work. Oh, yeah. Can I... Uh I would expand on this one as well. Yeah, keep going. I'm going to jump ahead to integrations because at Azuqua, our big thing is integration, is, is integration particularly with an API. And one of the things that I love more than anything, and this is how I actually went to work for Azuqua to begin with, is that I was taking my data out of my LMS. I was aggregating it, rolling it up, but I didn't really have a good way to, well, I had an integration, but it was really painful to use to get the business rules around it, to get it in a format I could use. Basically, I wanted to have one row in a database per learner, per course, with all of the associated information about, you know, how long they took on it, you know, what their quiz scoring was. And that was painful. So with me and API, I was able to hook into one system and hook it into Gainsight and have everything I needed. So those kind of things are, are stellar. And you may actually want to think about a product like Azuqua if you don't have an integration, but you have an API. Those are the kind of things that you can do to connect the point to point. Because like Adam, you were saying, I think one of the biggest assets to you is to connect into that customer success team and the bigger picture from a corporate level to say, well, is my is my work doing something? Is it affecting the outcomes that I want? We can talk about that in a whole other episode, but that's super important. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the reasons why at Checker, we actually move directly to an LMS without going through that fake it stage, because wow, we bold. actually had a pretty clear idea at that point of how we wanted learning to roll into the customer lifecycle. And we already had that buy-in. So it wasn't this complex ROI argument. It was really more a matter of needing to understand how the data was going to flow between our systems and what reporting we wanted to offer to our customers. So one thing that I did at Checker that I wish I had done at uh, previous roles as well was we, we brought our data engineering team into the discussion with wow. our potential systems so that we could evaluate their APIs and so that we could actually understand their approach to the data. And that was really helpful. I'm super impressed with that. I'm totally going to do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you know what? They might not have time always, but at least in this case, they were really happy to be involved and they were thankful in a way that we were bringing them into this discussion because if you're a data engineer or if you're a business operations person or if you're a sales enablement or in, you know roles like that where yeah. you're dealing with a lot of data and a lot of integrations a lot of the time you get systems just plopped on you and their apis are terrible and you have no <laughs> idea how to work with them so if you can actually be part of that evaluation process i i really appreciate hearing their insights on how difficult this is going to make their lives later yeah that's awesome 
So let's let's try to wrap up. What are the other other things? I think we talked about e-commerce. That I mean, if you're you're doing if you're selling your training, if you're thinking about selling your training, you're not even doing it today. Definitely be cognizant of the options you have at your disposal. You know, does it integrate with uh, what, what did you just mention before? Stripe, Stripe or yeah. uh, other okay. other common systems like that? Other systems. Uh, another integration to think about is SSO or login. So if you're not planning to have your students actually create accounts in your LMS, if you want to use your products login or something like that, uh, look at how they handle single sign-on, SSO, right? Um, or OAuth is another way that people do it. So you can either identify people by their actual product account. So for example, at, at Checker, we're having people log in using their Checker dashboard accounts. Mm -hmm. um, or I've, I've also seen people use OAuth where they use a third-party account like Google or Facebook to log in to a different system. Right. That's one of those things that people may forget or pass upon because one of the biggest complaints that I had, one of the few complaints I had was that, hey, this is too hard. I have to remember another password. Of course, I use LastPass and I never remember a password anymore, but uh, we don't prescribe that for everybody and nor would we expect them to have that so that that's stellar i mean it's about that, that you've tethered it to checkers login dashboard that's super cool yeah that that alone might save you from having to get a training admin later <laughs> and trust me on that i had to have a training admin for my last system and you know the the last thing that i really look for is good partnership you know again it's not just about checking those boxes on the rfp it's really about making sure that whoever you partner with approaches it in a way that is intelligent and thoughtful and that this is going to be a partner that grows with you over time. Yeah. And the last part of it is, and I think you've done this, um, full demo before you buy. Click the buttons, try some stuff, load some modules. Get a sandbox environment. Totally. Because uh, you might be feel rushed and you might want to move into it and a salesperson will definitely encourage that. But goodness, you, you have to know what kind of, you know, you'll never get to the point where you've uncovered all the gotchas in advance, but you could sh surely enough beat down some of them before you get too far into the process. An excellent closing thought, if I've ever heard one. Ah. So <laughs> Humble. our first time talking about LMSs, but um, probably not our last. Yeah, we've gone quite long, but I think this is all fantastic. And, and now it's a f my favorite time of the podcast. Adam, do the honors. Welcome. You've got mail. It's time for our mailbag. So uh, today's letter is from Barry from Panama City, and he asks, My boss is obsessed with the idea of microlearning. She keeps telling me that what we need to do is make our content more micro, because our customers have short attention spans. But I'm worried that if it's too short, learners won't have the right context. Hmm. What do you think of this whole microlearning thing, Dave? Oh, you know, I... I love this topic because it's quite painful right now. Um, I'll give you my two cents and, and you can address as well. But so, so here's the deal. The first few weeks that I dropped into Azuqua and started to build out some content, I had this resonant cheer, like, we're going to make micro training. And I go, I didn't sign up for that. Um, but I humored them. What in my impression of micro training may be may close, more closely match yours is that when people say micro training, they're saying, oh, well, nobody has time for training. And this got to be really small so I can get bite-sized chunks. Yeah, true. Um, but that trend is not completely validated 
right now. And, and Adam, you and I are going to totally agree on this. And I fight myself on this all the time. I, I mean, this podcast in itself itself is quite long, but uh, most of our training, our, our learning is just too long and customers respond well to what we'd call chunked learning. And let me tap on that a little bit. I, I've taught game design for almost 10 years. And one of the things that you hear at hear about when you learn, I think Rafe Koster has a really good book on this, that we as humans chunk information into related content. And, and also you could really only grapple with probably between five and nine things in your brain at any given time. This is not a slide on anybody. This is psychological, you know, research that tells us this. So what our goal really should be rather than going micro micro, you know, like somebody said, you got to make it under a minute. And I go, it's not going to happen. Um, three to seven minutes is probably a good target before switching on to something else, right? You know, get things that are related, uh, get material that, that makes sense, work packaged together. It doesn't mean that you can't go and make longer form material or workbooks or other documentation, but that core, that meat that you're really trying to communicate should be small. I'm, I'm going to actually defer or try to stay away from the micro because micro might get too small. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, how, how micro is micro? Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Dave. I, I think that when we think about micro learning, I actually like to look at it as a healthy challenge to get all of that excess stuff out of the training. Because a lot of the time, the reason why we're doing hour long training or sometimes even more is because we haven't necessarily thought about how to chunk it. Mm-hmm. But even when we start to get into that like 10 to 15 minute range, I think a lot of the time, we're sitting there because we haven't really done the hard thinking about what content is actually going to support the learning objective that I have versus <laughs> what's the list of things that I think I need to talk about. So the person will know this and I'm putting the word no in my air quotes too. So I, I like to look at it as a challenge. If the goal is to get the customer to comfortably adopt a certain feature, let me spend maybe you know, 30 seconds, maybe a minute, depending on how long, really focusing on why it's important. Let me do a quick walkthrough of what it is. And then let me give them a call to action at the end. Love it. Yeah. Um, you know, one other thing, and I've got an example to share with us, and, and I think you actually wrote down the point, engagement and length aren't correlated. Um, you, were, you were talking just now about focusing on stronger openers, the problems, the stories, maybe use cases that help people drive through longer content. The, the, the example I wanted to share is that uh, we have one or two modules that are super long at, at Azuqua. One, the first one is Azuqua 101. That's intentional. And it's my best performing piece of e-learning. It shocked me. And because everybody was saying, oh, micro, micro, micro. And I go, I have to set a learner up to actually consume that micro training. And this one is my top all time. uh, I have the best stats on it. Um, Some of the smaller ones actually perform better at the end, but still this beats them all out as far as overall performance. So it's not necessarily that you have to go to that micro. You just have to think about it. Another thing that would help particularly with these longer ones is indexing. So if you can index a video, for example, or break up a document and make it searchable, and you you mentioned SEO, get people to exactly what they need. And I know me, I might not have time in the moment. I might need to know one concept, but I probably was going to circle back. Absolutely makes sense. I I think that supports the, the chunking idea really well too. That even if you have a longer video, there's still topics in there that people can jump between as, as they need. 
Yeah. Or skip entirely if they don't feel that they, or they feel that they have a mastery of that concept. Yep, absolutely. And if the content is engaging in the sense that it really helps the learner reflect on what they're learning, it helps them practice what they're learning so that it becomes more real, then you're right. Engagement at length are, are not the same thing. So uh, micro isn't always micro, and it sounds like uh, <laughs> we should experiment with different engagement tactics and different lengths. Yeah, definitely. And experiments uh, are something that both of both you and I, um, obviously, we call this uh, podcast CE Labs, Customer Education Laboratories, when it's what we like to do. Um, so with that, let's let's transition out. That's a great, great question, Barry. Um, and if you have a burning question about customer education, send us send us that question. We're, we'll work to answer that in a future mailbag. Great. So just to summarize this week's lesson, let's wrap up with a clear call to action. So get out a piece of paper or download a, a template that, that maybe we'll be offering on our site, customer.education. And let's get ready to answer a few questions. Cool. Let's so first it. of all, if you don't already have an LMS, do you need one? All right. And then if you've gotten past that hurdle, why is it that you need one specifically? You know, what is it that you want that product to do? Do you want it just to track progress or hold those learners really accountable? And that means it's attributable to customer success or even provide that baseline of tooling for paid offerings. Yeah. And then think about whether you can justify the cost. Do that total cost of ownership count? and to the customer, if you are actually able to track their learning and present it in a way that is more engaging. And then also think about, do you have enough content to support an LMS or do you need to be doing more experimentation to figure that out? Exactly, and then I think at the tail end of this, you're determined, you've got to have an LMS, figure out what is it that you need to be ready. And then that means, Going to your, your last point here, do you have enough content? Have you have you kind of sketched that out? Have you done some trials? Do you need to do that? Are you or have you done this before and you're good to go? Spend the time, do the research, fake it till you make it, all those kind of things, and until you know you're absolutely ready and you're engaged and ready to go to then the last portion, which is figuring out those requirements, right? Absolutely. And so, listeners, if you want to learn more, we have a podcast website at customer.education. No.com, no.org, no.net, no.ninja. It's customer.education. There you can find show notes and other material. And please, if you found value in this podcast, share with your friends, your peers, over beers, and your whole network to help us find the others who do what we do. So on Twitter, I'm at Avramescu. And I'm at Dave Darrington. And as we say, go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. (laughs) Thanks for listening.